Welcome to the Aggressively Average Podcast. You'll be forced to stay. Sweet Average Podcast. I get all my facts from my gut. Does it look like any of us have taken this? I'm not allowed to go out and do what I want to do. I'm going postal. 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 This is a list of the people who ought to die. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the fifth episode of Fireside Chats with Blake. I'm Blake Townsend, and I'm joined today by a comedian that I've gotten to see do stand-up quite a few times. Mostly at bars where people are usually not very interested in hearing us try to make them laugh. But that's the life of a comic. His name is Michael Copenhaver, and you can check him out at michaelcopenhavercomedian.com. That's Michael spelled A before E. Copenhaver, C-O-P-E-N-H-A-V-E-R, comedian.com. I'll put that information in the description so you can check him out. He has info on all his upcoming shows and plenty of other stuff to see there, so if you enjoy listening today, don't be afraid to click on the link. Now, without further ado, I introduce Michael Copenhaver. Hi, Blake. It's fun to be here. Thanks a lot for having me. No problem. Let's get the fire started. Let's get it on. So, Michael, how are you doing today? Very well. Very well. Thank you for asking. No problem. What would you say your style of comedy is? <laughs> Conversational, I would say, if anything. I had a laugh because another comedian said, it was kind of the best uh, compliment I've had <laughs> in a while. He said, man, you are like nobody else in this area right now, like this whole scene in Cleveland, Akron. I guess I've got a unique delivery, a unique style, I guess. That's what he says. I like the sound of that. I don't want to be like somebody else. I don't want to be like the next Seinfeld or whatever. I want to be the first me. Yeah, I feel it. Obviously, I could emulate some of my favorite comics like Chris Farley. I could try to do some more like act outs like him. But like you said, I want to have my own style and I'm starting to figure it out. Most people say I've been they think I've been doing it a lot longer than I have been. That's a pretty nice compliment. That is a very good compliment. It's funny because uh, I'm talking about just people and how long they've been in. I will never mention any names. I don't out anybody. But uh, some of the other local guys that I like and everything, I'm not saying anything bad about anybody. But it's been uh, one of my favorite questions is how long you've been doing this? And one guy said, off and on, mostly for like seven to ten years. And I thought, wow, how much time do you have? And he's like, oh, I got about ten good minutes. And I have been a fraction of that. And I have a solid hour plus of good material. This word that works, it's already tested. I don't know. I just think that anybody who has 10 minutes after seven to 10 years, that's not a comedian. That's a hobbyist. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I've developed 10 pretty good minutes. I'm trustworthy of nine minutes of it. Sometimes it's different parts of the minute. Like it's not always the same minute that doesn't work. You sure, know, sure. Different crowds. But. Different crowd, different inflection. Plus, I mean, it's depending on how new you are, no matter what you're doing. I mean, the very first time you tell a joke, it's not going to be the same way it comes out the last time you tell that hopefully joke. Hopefully not. No, no, no. They evolve. Like when no, I'm I, saying like hopefully as in like someone doesn't just tell a joke and go, that's gold. Sure, sure. <laughs> then it's done. A lot of people do do that, I think. And um, one of my friends, Chief, i got to give him props. He really helped me out early on because he's a writer. And he's like, the one number one thing about when you're writing, whether it's comedy or whatever, he doesn't write comedy, he writes children's books. He's like, you can't be afraid to kill your baby. Don't think it's so good. And if it doesn't work three or four times that... It's just the audience is stupid. Maybe it's just not as good as you think it is. Maybe it's funny to you, but it's not relatable enough to be funny on stage. It might just be something for you 
tell it to yourself when you're home and you're not in front of crowds. It just sucks. Kill your baby. I always thought that was a funny term, kill your baby. Yeah, I, <laughs> I overkill my baby when I try to write because uh, I like to write stories. Like growing up, I always wrote stories. So I write very descriptive and flowery, which doesn't work well for quick. certain crowds. Well, for it's most, too smart. And five minute sets when yeah. I was having those, you don't, you don't have time. No. That's what it ha- how it hurts me too. That's how I develop like that conversational thing. So it's like sometimes you just don't have the time to really tell a fleshed out story the right way. My first set, two stories from when I was in college that if I tell them on stage and I get them right, they're going to be funny. Yeah. I did it my first time on stage because they were like my default go-to if your brain blanks. Sure, sure. So I was like, have those in the pocket, go to them. But then I tried them on five-minute sets later on, and I was like, I don't have time to tell that story and anything else. Yeah. So I have to put those on the back burner until I get more minutes from places to where I can start to try them. And it'll help once I have more storytelling ability on stage built up to tell those quicker and better. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I mean, there's no one way to skin the comedy cat. You know what I'm saying? There's not a one particular formula that works for everybody. It just doesn't work like that. Everyone's got their own style. Everyone's got their own voice. For me, I'm a storyteller too, naturally. I have a degree to teach. I'm more of a lecturer as a teacher, that type of thing. But yeah, when you're first starting out and you get those five-minute sets and that's it you can't tell a fleshed out really good story in five minutes usually especially if it's good enough you get laugh breaks because now it's a three minute story yeah because two of those minutes are good long hearty laugh breaks if you're the phenom that you think you are or whatever but i know my first time up i wasn't getting two minutes of laughs that's for sure no i, I had some laughs and i was happy to get that i was worried about bombing and i didn't bomb yeah, for then i fell in love with comedy immediately for a while before we had to take a break for covid it was mostly rolling giggles for me. Nothing was hitting hard, but I like nothing was really falling just like empty, flat in most rooms. Some rooms, especially when it's all comedians, might as well be speaking to crickets. Now, the best way, when it's just comedians, that's where you tell your good rape jokes. I comedians are dark-hearted individuals. We're all dead inside. That's the problem. <laughs> you have to really hit the dark shit for us. Yeah. I love dark comedy, personally. <laughs> just find it hilarious. I, I like dark comedy conversationally, but it's just, and maybe I'll develop it in the future if I really try, but it's not something I've figured out in my head. The timing or anything, like, just doesn't work when I try to think of it. I'm like, nah, I got to figure out the right way to do it. Exactly. The way you word it, the way you, your pauses are, everything. I mean, it's all, it's an act. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're performing. <laughs> You have to perfect it. Tape yourself. I, mean, I, that's I advice try, for Tape yourself I always as many times as you can. You can learn a lot just from watching yourself. Mm-hmm. Whether you have sound on or not, I mean, you know what you're saying when you're saying it. You can tell you by your body. Look at your body language. When you've got that sound, that's really good. Listen to those laughs where they come in. Was it the, the eye tilt? You know, was it this? Was it that? The more you can study yourself, the better you'll know who you are on stage, really. Well, that's one of the reasons I wanted to podcast, because I hate my voice. It's very nasally, punctures through everything. So I really didn't like watching videotapes of me, especially bad sound quality of me doing stand-up. And it sounds like this. I'm like, oh, my God, that's so gross. Not everybody has that gifted, natural voice like me. That's weird because people tell me, like my communications teacher told me I have a great voice for public speaking, but I just, I guess it's too shrill to my ears. Doing this podcast, I also edit it. So... I'm listening to myself for hours and hours and hours. Nails on a chalkboard. And so I've gotten used to it. And now I can watch my sets, no problem. I just always forget. I learn on stage, too. I'm Absolutely, in the moment. 
Yeah, I learned pretty well on stage, but obviously I'm missing something. But like you said, it's a performance. The last set I did was when I felt like, because usually I go up there and I try to be natural, not freak out, like keep my anxiety low. But the last time, because I've been hosting more and like I'm not working sets, I'm having to like try and ad lib more on stage. Last time I did a set, I was like performing the jokes while being normal. It was like it just felt different. I was getting better reaction from the crowd and everything. I had a little alcohol in me, but (laughs) good courage. I usually like usually have a couple, but it just felt weird to try to like be normal but still perform. Because usually it's be as normal as possible, like at, like you would in a conversation. But I churched it up on the last set. Churched it up. Hallelujah. You said you're a former school teacher? I have the degree. I never actually taught other than student teaching. Ah. Uh, what did you teach? Um, I did student teaching at a, an inner city school in Warren, Ohio. Okay. My focus was integrated social studies, which covers 7 to 12. I was uh, secondary education, so it covers 7 through 12. Sociology psychology, history, and geography. So I'm basically a people person to start. I mean, all those things are very, very interesting to me. Was there a reason you didn't stick with teaching? Well, uh, to be brutally honest, I was going through a divorce right as I was graduating. (laughs) And um, I put my resume on a monster, and I did get bites. I could have went right from school straight into teaching. But the closest teaching gig I was offered was down in Tennessee. And my kids had just been moved away. So I'm from Northeast Ohio. They just got moved behind enemy lines and that stayed up north. And that was already a four-hour drive. I didn't want to add, you know, seven, eight hours on top of that. How old are your kids? Uh, my youngest is 19 now. And my oldest, she is 20. Almost as old as me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm old. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder, fucker. I mean, if, if we had video, everyone could see the reminders right on your face. Oh, yeah. But, you know, salt and pepper look doesn't look bad. It's distinguished. So I lose the hair. I don't want it up there. I don't care if it's in my beard. I just don't want to see gray hair. Uh, <laughs> I had a freak out moment today. I'm going to be real with you, Blake. Be real. I was out of the shower. No, I wasn't out of the shower. I was sitting on the porch. I was visiting my parents. I was over there uh, mowing their lawn today. They're elderly as hell, just like me. <laughs> but they can't do any of their own outdoor gear, like uh, outdoor maintenance and shit. So I was over there helping them out, mowing their grass and stuff. And I was sitting having a tea. So all I drink is... Sweet, sweet Arizona green tea on the porch with my parents. And I looked down and I noticed I had a goddamn white hair in my chest. That was a real bitch. As soon as I see my first white pube, dude, I'm killing myself. Because i got to be like right around the corner from diapers from there, you know. Yeah, that's never a good sign. No, I'm sure it's not. One on my chest wasn't a good sign. I felt like shit. That's just me being real with you. That happened today. So I'm just bringing it to the table. That's what we're here for. It's what this is for. We want the truth when you have mild heart attacks over hair. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. I know I can't. I don't, I don't want to get old. I'm friend, already old, but I just, it's really troubling to me because I'm Peter Pan, you know? I'm man boy 2000. I just never, ever wanted to grow up. Happens to the best of us, I know, because it's happening to me. And the worst of us. <laughs> it has happened to me. It sucks. And my friend Chris turned 30 this year, and he already is like starting to get, sorry, Chris, if I'm putting you out on blast. Starting to get gray hairs. Not a ton of them, but enough to where you look and you're going to see them. Oh, yeah. Hasn't happened to me yet, so awesome. Yeah, it hit me late, but then it came on fast. I mean, that's how that happens. Yeah. I'm mid-30s. I started graying up. Not so much on top, but I am thinning up top. That's another reason I, know, I just... I'm starting to thin. I trim it all the way down. I don't, that's way too much hair. I would lose my fucking mind with all that hair on my head. 
oh, you should see the original haircut. I lost my mind when I got that. Right now, you can't tell, kind of. Like, these are really short. The person who cut it was trying to, like, in my mind, there was, like, little tufts of hair sticking, like, claws. And he said he was cutting those off. He literally took the top part of my scalp and, like, took it a quarter of an inch back, like, yeah. buzz. He hooked you up with a five head. Yeah, it was... Well, it's just fucking like, and then he left the hair over the top, so there's hair behind it longer going down. But like, if I move, it's it, like a reverse layer. Yeah, it looked. It's really not progressive, great. Blake. I really dig your haircut. Well, thank you. I uh, I got a dig on my haircut by the bartender at Post Thirty Two where I host. She said something about being a seven point five, like self-proclaimed herself being a seven point five. So I made the joke. I was like, Yeah, you know, back in my day when I was a lot lighter, I was a real solid two. <laughs> and she goes, Oh, stop it. If you were to get a better haircut and dress better and carry yourself better, you'd be a solid six. And I was like, it's not a compliment. <laughs> you just dropped me a point and a half, bitch. That's fucked up. <laughs> as soon as like, you put me point and a half below you after just basically berating me as a fucking look. <laughs> now, here's comedy 101. You're too nice. People love insult comedy. They love that shit. Next time she says that, you say... Yeah, well, two more six-packs, and maybe you'll be a six-and-a-half. Oh, believe me. Ask them. I got insult comedy down. I said I got insult comedy down, don't uh, I? That was a third-party interaction for those of you. Yep, that was the human behind torch. Behind the veil. He uh, is fresh out of the shower, Mediterranean-looking and hairy. Just imagine <laughs> it. He's not actually Mediterranean, folks, or he, so he says. He does have a greasy and flair, doesn't he? He does. I'm going to ask you this question because I kind of I like the fact that you make fun of your girlfriend pretty relentlessly oh absolutely I'm really bummed she didn't come with me today but I love the fact that like you have the joke about Nazi and stuff or oh the, yeah anytime that they will applaud for her when I talk about having a girlfriend and said it's a lovely Lindsay there she is right there I usually point around the crowd and as soon as people start applauding for her I will say jokingly don't applaud for her she's an evil racist <laughs> she hates that joke because she thinks that people are going to think she is an evil racist. She is. But I don't, you know, condone that type of stuff in my household. And the I, lovely Lindsay, as I like to call her, or around the house. Lindsay! Because as you know, she is a redneck from West Virginia. I like to pick on her for that all the time. It never gets old for me. She wants to stab me in the eyes. I mean, she's a good sport about it. Absolutely, absolutely. She's my number one supporter. I would not be where I am right now without the lovely Lindsay. That's for real. I mean, she gave me a big old pep talk when we were at Belcher's the first time. She's really nice. No, she's a good person. She's got a lot of love to give. She's a whore. Speaking of that, I've actually met a lot of comedians like since you know this has all started back up and people are traveling far distances to go places because that's all there is. Sure. Met a ton of people that are fucking just awesome. Yeah, the comedy community is crawling with a lot of really, really good people. Evan Michael Cackley. He was the dude Belchers we hung out with after everyone left. Evan. Oh, Evan. Yeah. What was I calling him? Pedo stash. Yeah. Yes, yes. That poor lad. Yeah, he's a, he's a good guy. What did he say? He was like 27 or something like that? And he's got younger. that goddamn mustache that makes him look like he's like a 32-year-old pervert. Oh, yeah, that's why I won't ever rock a standalone mustache. Yeah, I can't do it either. Mine's not People think I look Mexican. Like, yours is a little thicker than mine. Mine comes in real thin. Yeah, it's so, like, thick. So, yes, <laughs> Looks like a cheech. But, like, I, couldn't, I could never do it. I've seen my dad, when he was younger, what he looked like with a single stash. My brother tried to rock it, and it's not a Townsend look. <laughs> either looks like a porn star, or a highway patrolman, or a 
could be a pedo, could definitely be a break-in guy. He's definitely getting picked up by the cops or something. He's one of the usual suspects. You know what's funny is, like, the whole, like, pedo, serial killer, like, type of look. I have a theory that comes from, like, that's just how the average man looked for so long. And that's how they were trying to blend in and not be noticed. Like, right, look right. As, look as average as possible. <laughs> yes, yes. And then, like, people are like, oh, I can't rock that mustache. The art of looking invisible. <laughs> and so, like, they changed guys' looks because they're like, oh, this mustache looks like I'm a fucking freak. Right. Yeah, I can't do it either. Like, I tried it once, and uh, everyone thought I was Mexican, which is hilarious. I'll go with a full beard, and everyone thinks I'm a terrorist. But as you said, Michael Copenhaver is my last name. That is a German name. I am predominantly German. Little Heinz 57. Yeah, not a terrorist, just a Nazi. Yeah. Yes, yes. Much better. Much better. <laughs> my hatred is very, very selective. That's a joke. That's a joke. The Germans pretty much hated everyone, except for the one type of thing that Hitler wasn't. Yeah, I know. It's not crazy. <laughs> And a uh, an ardent uh, vegetarian. He was? Yes. You did not know that? I'm pretty sure I did. Because His birthday is on April 20th, 420. Yeah, I knew that one. My puppy's birthday is on 420. That's why I named her Hitler. <laughs> it's Indica. I'm teasing 420. I'm a pothead. Her name is Indica. She's a beautiful little wolf dog. Oh, wolf dogs are nice. Yeah, they're sexy as fuck. Uh, my favorite type of like dog to look at is a corgi, however you say that. Yeah, mixed corgi. With, mixed with anything. Oh, really? Anything that you mix a corgi with comes out looking adorable as shit. <laughs> they usually have, like, little tiny fucking paws. I've literally gotten lost on the internet for, like, an hour one time because my dad asked me. I told him, like, corgi pups look awesome. He's like, oh, can you look them up? And I did, and I showed him a couple, and the next thing you know, I'm like, ha <laughs> Just scrolling for, like, an hour and a half. Just And I'm not even that type of person. <laughs> I don't fucking look at dogs, like... My friend Chris loves his dog, and I, I love her too, but they've got a connection I don't think I could ever have with an animal. That's what you think when you live with one full-time. Well, I live with my, my dad's dog, but it's... Different. You didn't have it as a puppy, did you? No, he was like a year and a half old, right. and he was a, like a on-the-street dog before we had him. He might have had an owner at one point, but he got picked up on the street and definitely had been in like a fight or two. Hmm. So he, he's an adorable little thing, and... He just wants to cuddle all the time, but I, I can't let it lick me in the mouth. His breath is fucking terrible. Yeah, you wouldn't like my dog. And he's a sniper. <laughs> he'll be, like, sitting there just as you're, like, holding him or something, or he's sitting on you. He'll sit there and for 10, 15 minutes not doing anything, and then the second you open your mouth. <laughs> it's, he's just waiting for it. Yeah, and I don't know why. He just gets his rocks off on it, I guess. It's fucking weird. Uh, it's like a natural behavior for a dog like that it's descended from the wolves when the child's like the little baby dogs before they can actually hunt for their own meat they will lick the inside of their mother's mouth for meat scraps in the teeth mm. it's an it's a uh, what do you call that not an ecological imperative a biological imperative it's just something that's passed through the dna the more you know i actually uh i listened to this podcast with tom segura and christina Przyzitsky. i don't know if you listen to any podcast i haven't heard that one but i heard it's amazing and tom segura is fucking yeah. hilarious He's it's great and it's comedians. dark humor super dark humor oh of course it is. it's tom yeah. <laughs> tom's but, as dark as you can get i want to meet him someday but they say don't meet your idols and i kind of agree with that because it's already happened a couple times and i've heard this i will meet I'll lebron james anytime lebron james huh yeah i've said I've said it on this podcast before, and I'll reiterate it in case he's ever interested. I'll be your dog. (laughs) I will be the little white boy that you just boss around. I'll do it. I will be your house honky, sir. (laughs) They, uh, 
had a video that they were making fun of because it's some lady teaching you how to like deal with wolves and she's like and if you can stand it let them lick the inside of your mouth and no i would never yeah wild wolf. i'm with you <laughs> i'm with you on that one yeah i wouldn't want to be around wild wolves that's that's a whole different kind of an animal like even my dog she's really good for the most part but if she gets a sniff of something she doesn't like she kind of changes into a different different animal and then the thing about it, like a wolf and a husky that's that's her uh combination she's a wolf dog a hybrid they tend to not bark so they're not the best for like watchdogs as far as letting you know someone's around but what they will do is stay silent and if the situation calls for it they remain hidden and then strike from total stealth mm. which makes them a little more dangerous as a house pet than some other dogs in fact um my insurance for my house i can't really have my dog around non-family members Really? If she bites somebody, my house insurance will not cover it, and I think they'll drop me. But, I mean, there's no danger of that. She she is weird, though. I mean, she's a wild cat. She, well, not a cat, but a wild dog. She, uh, she'll jump straight up. And just for whatever reason, she just likes to do it to fuck with you or something. Just snap. Jaws right by your face. She don't bite you. She don't even try to. She just wants to jump up, and you can hear that click in the teeth. It's the wildest thing. But if you're not careful, yeah, she will pierce your lip. She got me once. I was turning. As she was jumping, I was... We kind of headbutted, and she still chomped in the middle of it. For a second there, I thought I had a fucking pierced lip. My friend's dog, he got him when he was a puppy, and I would play with him a lot. And he liked to chew on my toes. And as long as he wasn't, like, biting, I'd let him, like, you know, flick him off when he would start to bite. So he got used to that. And when he got older, he would just come and just want to fucking just semi-gnaw on things. Mm. Like, my, my toes like fingers, whatever, just want to semi-gnaw on them. And I was like, oh, I taught you a really bad habit. Mm -hmm. Best thing to do for a dog doing stuff like that, as soon as they start chewing on something you don't want them to chew on, give them their chew toy immediately. And they'll start just associating chew with chew toy. It's just a simple little dog training thing. Yeah, just for me, it was like... I'm an expert on any topic. <laughs> in I'm your really, own really, really great at everything that I do, except for my Trump impression. It sucks. I got the lips like a little tiny butthole, though. I got that pretty good. Yeah, I, I wish I could do a really good Trump impression. Me too. That would just be gold. I can it's, do the mannerisms, and the timing of his voice is easy, but I can't do the inflection or the, like, sound. Yeah, he uh, he's a weird cat. He would be hard to emulate. You'd have to really study it. See, I'm not an impressionist, really. I'm not either. Calling Media Marcus. Learn a Trump. A really, really good Trump. I've heard him do Trump. He actually does pretty good. I can impersonate over-the-top wild characters, like, you know, yellers. I have a very good voice for yelling, and I love to yell. I can do a hell of a uh, Matt Foley <laughs> impression. Yeah. But, like I said... I'm trying to stay away from those kinds of things on stage. That's everyone's going to associate that with Chris Farley. Like, it just depends on how you do it. If you use the same body language and everything, sure. But if it's original and it's not Matt Foley, I mean, as long as it's not a Matt Foley knockoff, if it's a totally new character with his own shtick and his own thing, and you're not just you know doing all that Matt Foley stuff, it's not Matt Foley. Yeah, well, it's my, your character. What I would really want to do is like the Zach Galifianakis type of move, where you start saying something, then they don't know the yells coming but it totally fits into what you're doing. I would like to do that kind of stuff. And I had a couple of jokes when I first started that did it. I, I might, I should revisit them because it's not like they didn't work. Just they didn't work as well as I wanted them to. So I should probably just revisit and try to church them up. That's the process, man. No joke is dead until you've tried it every which way but lose. Run by somebody else, man. Collaborating with other people and, you know, making sure they understand. I'm not giving you a joke, motherfucker. Let me run this by you. Tell me what you think. What would you do with it? 
can I use it? There's yeah, a lot of people I, who are really willing have, to help you like bunch stuff up. Ah, like I don't, I don't write every last line that I do on stage all by myself. One of the best lines I have, one of my most favorite things to say, was given to me by my good partner Spike McCauley, my brother. He uh, he gave me one of the the best lines I ever had for a closer. Yeah, I've been working with Christian Clink mm-hmm. about like getting some segment ideas together so we could do some videos and put them out. And I'm not a pitch man. I'm the puncher upper. I'm more of once you give me an idea and I hear what you want to do with it, then I. By my like, little- you're the BASF of comedy. You don't make a lot of the things that are funny. You make a lot of the things that are funny better. That's me. I get it. That's like, good in collaboration, though. No, yeah. especially when you're working with people who can kill their baby. Like it's the hardest thing about working with somebody else. That's why Spike and I work really well together because we both appreciate and respect each other's funny. Because we come from a little bit of a different perspective. He's younger than me, obviously. Most comedians are these days, and uh, I don't know. We just work well together. If he likes something that I do better, the way I do it. He's got no problem killing his baby to do that because he just recognizes it as better and vice versa. Yeah, that's I'm like, you know what, Christians dump that whole part that I was doing. Let's just focus on that thing that you're doing because it's way better than what I had. And I'm like, eh, I don't think so. And I'm like, trust me on this. That was way better. <laughs> Christian is like that too. Like He has sketch writing. Like He's been doing that. So he has some sketches already written. And we're not bad friends, but we're not like the closest. And it was like my first time reading his sketches. So it's weird to like really give input, but he was so totally cool with everything I said. And he was like, oh yeah, you know, when it was a good idea. And when it wasn't good, you know, he was going to be like, uh, I don't know. I'm like, totally get it. Shouldn't have said it. It was dumb. Just came off the top of my head. Well, but even stuff like that, I mean, just rethink it maybe, or like you said, put it on the back burner, stick it in the shelf. So you write everything down, keep a lot of notes, keep a lot of notes. That's what my phone's just full pages and pages of notes just of this, that, and the other thing under different random titles and shit. Well, this is for this show idea, this is for that show idea. Because um, Spike and I are constantly working on stuff right now. We're working on sketches, or not sketches, but scenes for um, a animated pilot that we are hoping to hit 12 minutes time limit with and then try to shop it around, maybe hit some festivals with it, and uh, maybe get picked up by Cartoon, Cartoon Network. That's the dream. We'll see what happens. Uh, by the way, if you guys do ever do any sketches or anything, you need someone. Uh, hit me up if I'm available to do it anytime. If you yeah, think we're gonna mine the local comedy community for voices and things like that. We're looking for people who can do certain like weird, strange, recurring characters. But as it is, we're trying to keep it as in-house as possible, as cheap as possible. It's like uh, he and I are gonna be like three voices each for this, each show already. This may not be Kinda good like business practice, style. but I don't need to be paid. Oh. <laughs> No, no. Your pay will be the voice credit. <laughs> well, it's pretty cheap. But, I mean, we're just trying to limit, you know, how many people we try to get involved early. Because yeah. we're, I don't know, like, I'm biased, of course. But we really think uh, that what we're putting together is pretty fucking magical. And it's something that is exactly what 14-year-olds want to watch. And that's pretty much who you write for when you're trying to get on Cartoon Network. So, like, or Adult Swim. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because uh, it's man boys like me. And then the younger generation to watch the kind of shit no, that yeah, we're trying like, to put together. What was Metalocalypse? <laughs> oh, I love that show. That clown, the cocaine clown. <laughs> that's just goofy off the wall kind of shit. And that's, I don't want to get into it too much, you know, but that's kind of like the feel. It's not a Metalocalypse at all type show, but it's it's almost like a... Uh, Crazy off the wall. Well, I hate, to, I hate to compare it to an exact other cartoon. But sometimes we worry that we're getting a little too close to Rick and Morty sometimes. Not that we're, you know, gallivanting all over space, but it's just the matchup of the two characters almost has a Rick and Morty feel. He's not his grandson or whatever, but the two main characters 
just in their exchanges, has a sort of earthbound Rick and Morty feel the, to the it. The way I look at it, because my uh, I want to write a novel at some point in my life, uh, and I have an idea. Blake's big black dick. <laughs> okay. That should be the title of it. Nah, I uh, want to do like a dystopian type of sure. young adult novel, and I describe young adult. That's exactly what you want to aim for. Eighth graders, and like oh, I, I could read young adult until I'm fifty. Really? Just, that makes one of us. Even when it says young adult, like, Harry Potter's a good book. It's not the, the highest level of vocabulary, but it's very well-structured sh- stories, brings a lot of callbacks, like, really good books, and they're young adult. I just like what you can do with young adult. You go whoa, dark. Whoa, 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 Literature. Phrasing. Phrasing. Young adult literature. Anyways, I described kind of like outline of an idea of a book I had. Clearly not fully formed. It's not written or even written down like in a outline or anything, but describe it to my cousin. He goes, isn't that a little bit like X-Men, a little bit like Hunger Games, a little bit like this? Like, yeah, because it's all a dystopian, like distorted future. It doesn't matter if it has similarities as long as it's original from me. Yeah, there's no such thing as an original story anyway. No. There's the every- same stories have been told so many different times in so many different ways. Like, uh, are you a fan of the movie Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. You know what that is, right? It's the modern retelling of Homer's Odyssey. Oh, Odysseus. It's, yeah, it's all flashback. It's just a modern retelling. Uh, John Goodman's character had the patch on his eye, the Cyclops. It's a modern retelling of Homer's Odyssey. That ain't no shit. That's a weird, weird way to go. But it's a fantastic movie. Fabulously acted. I mean, I'm not a huge Clooney fan, but the thing I really dig about George Clooney, right? He'll do these bullshit movies that are total Hollywood garbage. And that's kind of why I didn't like him all that much. But when I realized what he was doing was that was taking that Hollywood garbage money and then making his own really great project films. Stuff like that. Like, uh, if you've never seen it or never heard of it, watch The Men Who Stare at Goats. I've heard of it. And- if you've never seen it, you will never see Clooney the same way again. That man is incredible. And what was the other one I really, really loved him in? It was Oh Brother, We're Out Thou for sure. There was one more. I can't recall offhand. I'm getting older. Alzheimer's. I feel the same way with, like, you see all these memes now where people across the world were, like, writing the same shit, drawing the same symbols in notebooks. And the, no connection. There's no way anyone would ever know. But every child fucking did it. It's like, there's no original ideas. Everyone's thought everything. Like, yeah. It's just a matter of putting them together in your way that makes it original. Exactly right. Even like Shakespeare, he kind of rewrote uh, the Helen of Troy story with Romeo and Juliet. Well, he made his stuff original by just deciding he was going to make up words and make people learn how to define them. My favorite thing about Shakespearean theater is that back in Shakespeare's actual day... Twelve-year-old boys played all the girls. Yes! (laughs) And when they had to show the business... They wore these things called a merkin, and it was just a patch of animal fur that would hide their penis, and it looked just like a big old bush. (laughs) That shit cracks me up. I just love the word merkin, because that fills me with that image, and it brings me so much joy. One of my favorite words sounds very close to it, and it's merple. Merple? Yeah, yeah. And when people ask me, like, what is it? It's a, uh, a mixture of mauve and purple. Oh, interesting. And one, mauve is my favorite color, just because I love the name mauve. And then the fact that two shades of purple mixed together and they became purple. <laughs> yeah? Okay. We all just learned something about Blake. I mean, this this podcast, people learned I used to have a werewolf mommy in a reoccurring dream. Uh, Torch had a very sad childhood. 
Yeah, I was bummed out. I asked you uh, before we started if there was going to be uh, any video component. Because as soon as I saw the couch set up, I was like, oh, we're going to have to change all this around for just a short period. So I can be laying on that couch and telling you the weirdest recurring dream I can think of at the time. I'll just add living, you know. Oh, I, I've had two re- reoccurring dreams that I can remember in my lifetime. The one, when I was three years old and, and younger, I used to dream that every night I would turn into a werewolf and go into the woods, and there was a tree I would go into that I would go down, and there'd be a little house or living dwelling inside the tree where I had a whole werewolf family and I even like my mom tried to give me a bath the one time and I said why do I need to take a bath my werewolf mommy just licks me clean like I was that deeply entrenched into this dream tell me more about this werewolf mommy (laughs) I had a werewolf dad I had a werewolf brother I had had the whole werewolf family and this was just a dream not an alternate reality within your mind it was dreams reoccurring dreams like you didn't have these recurring dreams at an institution no I was, no. I was very little. And then I... Uh, when There's I got, no Thorazine involved? No? I used to sleepwalk a lot, so that may be another reason for those re- reoccurring dreams. But then I had another one where I was playing a video game, and I would play all the levels of the video game, and then the last level, you were in like a fighter pilot type of thing, and there was a giant floating head, big old green head in the sky that I had to shoot and kill. And every night before I killed it, I got woken up for school. And I had that dream until the one time I was close to killing it, and I heard my alarm going off and heard my mom trying to wake me up, but I, like, forced myself to stay asleep in the dream so I could beat the level, and I never had the dream again. Weird. wonder what that shit meant. I don't know. I've always said, uh... Welcome to Dreamscapes with Blake Townsend. Physical, like, like, doctors that deal with your physical body and therapists would both be like, holy fuck, there's a lot to unpack here. (laughs) Because I stopped treating injuries when I was younger. Like, I just fucking was like, whatever. Not go- Like, my mom didn't like to go to the hospital a lot because she didn't have the money. I know that now. That's why. But it instilled in me, like, when you have an injury, don't treat it. Just live your life as best you can. And Rub a little it. dirt on it. Don't be a pussy. Oh, yeah. She used to say that all the time. If you ain't bleeding, you ain't dying. Like, <laughs> sometimes you don't know you're internally bleeding, which is the quickest way to die. The red stuff's on the inside, kid. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> that was her motto. Like That's I, awesome. I broke my hand wrestling, and I called her on the way home. I was like, hey, my hand's really badly swelled up. They uh, they think it's broken. I have to go to the hospital. My mom's like, okay. I get to the house, and she just, like, on the couch because she didn't go to the wrestling tournament. And she was, like, laying there. I was like, you ready to go? Oh, I figured you'd want to sleep. I was like, sleep? Mom, I am 230 pounds. Do you think I want to roll over onto my hand in the middle of the night? <laughs> No, I want to go to the hospital. Oh, that's amazing. Was it broken? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had two uh, spiral fractures in my hand Hmm. that I ended up having to have surgery to fix. Otherwise, my fist would have closed like some weird way, they said. the claw. Wild. Yeah, I got a similar story. Uh, Not because we were poor, Blake, okay? But my mom was the same way. Anytime you were hurt, she'd run you through these ridiculous gamut of tests. (laughs) To see if it's actually doctor-worthy or not. And uh, any stomachache, first one, jump off the bed or jump off the side of the couch, whatever. Make sure it's not appendicitis. That actually came in handy for me. I totally diagnosed my son a couple years ago with uh, appendicitis. He told me he'd been feeling real sick. We had met halfway. I was on my way to Arkansas, I think, with some Amish people when I used to do that job. And uh, he met me halfway between Ohio and Michigan. And... uh, I threw him some stuff for something. I don't remember what it was. I think I gave him a laptop computer or something like that. I needed it for college. And uh, 
while he was there, he was talking about how bad he was feeling sick and he had to make his girlfriend drive and everything. And it just felt like terrible, terrible, terrible. Now it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. So I made him do a little hop right there in this lot where we met. Yeah, it turned out he did have appendicitis. Took his appendix out like later that afternoon evening. Yeah, some of those old remedies, or not remedies, but diagnostic tools, there's a reason they existed. Yeah. They may not be the most perfect thing in the world, but sometimes. It never happened for me. Back to the original story with my mom, with me, I was tearing ass through the house. It was summer. I was, I think, 10 or 11 years old, and I kicked a box really super hard on my way through running around, and I jacked my big, or no, my second toe, next to the one next to your big toe up real hard, and it hurt for days. And I was playing Little League Baseball. I played Little League Baseball all through uh, my youth. Made the all-star team every single year, including this year. So I tell her how bad my foot hurts. I started walk, running on the outside of my foot, like so I wouldn't put the weight on the full foot. Yeah. I was running on the outside of my foot, made the all-star team, played the entire baseball season like that. With my mom in the stands, after I t- kept telling her how bad my foot hurt, stop being a wimp, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. All season, we play, make the all-star team, and she's yelling in the stands, game after game, stop running like a weirdo, quit running like a freak, you just run normal, what's wrong with you? Over and over again, I just kept telling her, my foot hurts, my foot hurts, ah, you're just acting. Anyway, baseball season ends. We do the All-Star game. Everything's fine. So I was like, please, let's just get it looked at. Sure enough, it was broken in like two places. And then it healed creepy. So not only was it broken in two places and deformed and painful still, dude had to shoot me up with Novocaine in my foot. And then I watched as he twisted the shit out of my little toe. I'm like I said, I was only like 10 or 11 years old. Yeah, that's my mom's story. It wouldn't take me to the hospital. Yeah, you probably actually... My mother's a terrible human being. <laughs> When you were running like that, you may have only, like, broke it one time, but then running like that causes it to break again. Cause, Stress fractures and such. Because I did that in college. I was favoring my uh, left leg so bad because I, I had a lineman roll down it, and, like, my knee basically, like, dislocated and came back, and then my ankle got real fucked up, and mm. I just heard pop, pop, pop. You don't strike me as a football guy. Yeah. You're so gentle. I uh, was offensive lineman was where I was best at protecting yeah. compared to I wasn't good at defense because I don't don't want to get that mad like I don't have that in me for the defense but offense I was really good because it was just all right you're just not gonna get past me you're a fucking Jedi well I I wrestled too and I was we're gonna flirt with the dark side tonight Blake oh always happening and I wrestled heavyweight which went up to 285 but I only weighed 230 so I was used to dealing with guys a lot bigger than me and like learning how to use leverage and all that so and actually uh backyard football i was a running back mm. sure like the refrigerator yeah i ran more like a scat back i mean mm-hmm. i could break the tackles but i would like juke and like do slide slide by stiff arms and stuff mm. spin moves was you highlight real blake townsend ah we had a uh football like we decided to make a league one time and it was like seven teams all the captains met up and did a draft of all the names, and I was the first overall pick. Mm. Because I could play quarterback other than I couldn't throw the ball more than, like, 15 yards accurately. But, you know, anything within 15 yards, I had you. I was Johnny Manziel, man. And then I even, in a backyard football game, I uh, instituted the read option, mm. which might be the only time that was ever instituted in a fucking backyard football game. Fun. I remember those useful days. I can't do stuff like that anymore. I was 40 years old the last time I did any kind of real physical sport. I did a uh, benefit flag football game that turned into a lightweight two-hand touch. <laughs> it was like flag, and then it kind of went to touch, and it was like 
almost tackle. It got a little wacky. I forgot about muscles I used that day. And I'm telling you what, for three days, I had a hard time just getting out of bed in the morning. That was at 46 years ago. So The only time I ever regretted playing football was uh, I was at YSU, you know, Youngstown State University. Sure, of course I do. I just say it because I said YSU on the podcast one time. and somebody Penguins, was, baby! Exactly. Just like my fucking persona on stage. The penguin. But uh, people didn't know what it was on the podcast. And I was like, oh, I guess not everyone who listened is from Ohio. So, But played backyard football with the rugby club. Hmm. And the only reason I regret it is because football, people stop when they think there's the person's tackled. <laughs> yeah, sure. Rugby, that game doesn't stop. Until someone's bleeding. So I would, like, break five tackles and only make it, like, three fucking feet. And I was like, God damn, I'm doing way too much work to not get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Those rugby guys are a little crazy. But I had a real, real like, Madden. You ever play Madden at sure. all? Yeah, I'm not that fucking old, Blake. Some people don't play them. I still play video games. I done told you earlier I'm Peter Pan, man. I'm not I don't play video up. games much. I had to give up video games mostly for this type I of stuff. Saying, I'm too busy to really play much now. Like, the last really good game I played... I wasn't so much unemployed. It was like during the COVID shit. A friend of mine loaned me a game called Maneater. And basically you are the shark from Jaws, kind of. But not in that story. It was yeah, like a, you're just that a similar scenario. Oh, my God. Was it so much fun? It was just so much fun. Uh, yeah. I uh, playing backyard football with those rugby guys. And they had a dude who was like 6'4", had to have been at least 350 pounds. And at the time, I was probably 270, 280. So I'm not a small guy, but he dwarfed me. Mm, sure. And... I was running, and I was like, I don't have the athleticism to juke him. He's got too long arms, all this. So I just decided to do, like, the Madden truck stick where I just covered up the <laughs> ball and just went, went like that. And I, I fucking plowed right through him, ran past him. And afterwards, he's like, man, I'm so out of shape. Blah, blah, blah. And I just went, don't you take that away from me. Don't you dare try to take that away from me. <laughs> I have a cold. <laughs> Like, nah, man, you a big dude. You shouldn't have let that should never have happened, but it did. So we talked on that you have someone that you bounce ideas off with for writing jokes. A couple people. So I just want to. Pretty rarely. I mean, usually, like, my process is not like most other people's process. By the way, the question I was going to ask is what's your joke writing process? Oh, okay. Continue. (laughs) For instance, like, Lindsay, the lovely Lindsay, lives with me. And she never hears a joke for the first time until it's on stage. Now, she's heard some stuff that I've done on stage a million times by now. You know, it's not always all original, new, brand new shit. I mean, it takes time to write stage-worthy material. That's me. I mean, I'm not willing to say it until I think it's at least funny enough to premiere. Yeah, yeah. I, just... I work on some stuff for a minute before it comes out. But honestly, I'm, I'm lucky. Being 46, I'm going to cut you off. It's not about your process. It's about mine. I'm the fucking answerer here. All right. So you just zip it. So what I'll do is uh, I just, I'm 46. I don't have to write material as much as just remember shit that's happened to me and then figure out how to make it a stage story. It's like we were talking about earlier off the camera or off the mic that. Uh, oh, you're on camera. It's just, it's just personal. It's just a different one. <laughs> Only I watch it. Um, fuck, you fucked me up. That was brilliant. <laughs> Hi, I'm Chris Hansen. Have a seat. Want a cookie? <laughs> Right. Not again! <laughs> so we were talking off camera about storytelling. Oh, oh, about um, how we were talking off camera. Fuck, man. What was my... Uh, I lost my train of thought. Okay, Aaron, That was I'll, a brilliant fucking joke, man. I'll get you I'll get you on your train of thought here. You were talking about uh, you're 46 years old, 
you just have to remember stories. Oh, I just have to remember stories that happened to me. It's like we were talking earlier off. Uh, off God damn it, I almost did it again. Let's Groundhog Day. Big Bang Kids Parliament. Anyway, we were talking about how some stories are great at parties, great amongst your friends, great to tell at bars, but it's not the same thing as telling a funny story on stage. Some stories aren't stage stories. That's what I was saying. Yeah, and they're not. I'm going to shoehorn this in because I was going to say it earlier. Mm-hmm. The last two like Uber rides I've taken, both guys said they were interested in doing comedy. Blah, blah, blah. This one guy starts telling me all his, like, dad jokes. And he's like, you should use that on stage. And he told me, you should use that on stage. And then he went into this big, like, yeah, it doesn't matter if someone else has told it before. Just, there's only so many jokes. Just tell whatever you hear. You know, that guy's a scumbag. and I hope. Well, he he's never answer. done it before. So, and he just wants to get into it. Oh, I see. So he'll learn. I hope he doesn't. But, I hope he never does. But ever. he told me, like, a couple of them. He's like, okay, next time you go on stage, say this. Next time you go on stage, say this. And I just literally, I went, not trying to be rude, but just going to be honest here, not saying any of these on stage. Yeah, that's the best thing you can say to anybody. But don't say, I'm not trying to be rude at all. Don't quantify your, your comments. Just say, I'm not going to do any of that because it's not funny. Don't write for me. You don't know my voice. You've never seen me on stage. Go Fuck yourself. If your shit's so funny, go to a mic and let's see what you got. Yeah, I, I hate that. Well, there's certain even... people I trust with it because they've seen me enough and they're savvy enough comedy-wise. Like my man Jeef. We grew up together. He's like family to me. Just like Spike. We didn't grow up together, but we immediately clicked in the comedy community. We just glommed on and have always had a really good relationship. In my opinion, a real friend is hard to find. Real friends tell you what you need to hear not what you want to hear. If everyone tells you how great you are, what the fuck can you learn from that? Tell me where I can get better. If you can't help me improve, I don't need your opinion. We have a really motivational guy on this podcast. He likes to bring us all up as best he can. I, I appreciate that, him. I like that. He's actually helped me a lot with confidence and like doing podcasting, comedy. But I'm not saying you have to shit in someone's open mouth no, to but tell they, them that what they're let, doing is wrong. <laughs> let, me, let me get there. I did a show one time where I want to say the other two comedians were better than me, but like not so much better. And they've both been doing it longer time than me. So like I was feeling good that like I belonged on that stage. Mm, I get it. And he, he stopped me in the parking lot and he's like, you were the best one up there tonight. You were so great. And I just like, like, people's champ. Stop. Motivation doesn't work. If I can tell you're being dishonest. Yeah. I get it, man. I get it. And I like I, I love that he's motivational like that, but it's like you got to come from a place of truth. <clears throat> but at least you're self-aware enough to know. Because I mean, there's been a few times I thought eh, I did all right tonight, and then someone approached me, man, you were great, da da da, and I'm like, eh, I don't know about great. <laughs> I've been doing this a while now, and I can honestly say maybe, maybe six times I walked away truly happy with everything that went down the way it went down. I can't say I've ever been truly happy, but I've definitely been like, I definitely had the room on my side. They were laughing. They were all into That's it. That's something to be happy about, just so you know. I'm very self-critical, especially when it comes to... You should be. On my, if you're not, you're never going to improve. On my stage, like, self, because I know... I've listened back to my sets, and people tell me, it's like, oh, I couldn't even tell that you, like, messed up or you stumbled, because in my mind, it feels like it took me, like, 20 seconds to say something. But then when I watch it back, I'm like, oh, okay. It's only like three seconds. I'm the same way. It's like, man, I can't believe how long I was up there floundering on that thing. They're like, what are you talking about? I was like, oh, my God. It felt like it was an eternity. I'm just trying to spit one stupid word out. It totally screwed my timing up on the joke. Then, like you say, you hear it or see it again. You're like, oh, wow, that wasn't nearly as bad. When you're in that moment and something's fucking up, 
it's like that fight or flight thing kicks well, in I, and I adrenaline my, or whatever and it just slows I, I call it my ADD down. brain because I'm pretty sure, obviously self-diagnosis here, but I have a lot of ADD type of tendencies. <laughs> so I think that, especially when I'm up on stage and the adrenaline's pumping and my mind's going a mile a minute, because I'll be like thinking about two jokes ahead and how I need to string it there. And that's when I get into like the, oh, I forgot the joke in the middle. It hurts and helps because you forget stuff when you're just beginning and the adrenaline's pumping, but it also helps you just decide to like kick past it because you're having more thoughts come in. Right, right. You either deer in headlights it and walk away crying <laughs> or you salvage the moment and just keep on chugging. Because that's the thing I had to like, uh, I, I will tell a lot of the young guys that are starting out. Nobody in that audience that hasn't ever seen you before, maybe your friends or whatever, will know. But nobody else knows when you fuck up. They don't know what you're going to say. But I have a hard time finding, following my own advice. Yes. Oh, every every time I make a mistake, I'm like, fuck, on I, the inside. You know, I cannot believe I left that part out. That's a good laugh right there. How did I forget that laugh? Or I'll forget a callback or something. It's like, man, uh, do it all how did I not do the not Jeff callback? I'm a retard. Yeah, I totally get it. Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll miss a spot or I'll miss a joke. And I'll be like, man. It just ruined, like, my flow, and everyone's like, no, it didn't. I'm like, you don't know how good it could have been. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do feel you. And that's a good way to be. I mean, if you if you aren't constantly critiquing yourself and striving to improve your performance, you're going to get complacent. See, I did that a little bit. I felt like I was on top of the world. I, I was like going to say my, that earlier. My first I wish 15 I had to... minutes was really going great, and I was using it over and over again. So I'm going to different places all the time. And, you know, you really should work those first minutes you get a lot to make sure they work in a lot of different scenarios, a lot of different people, a lot of different crowd variations. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons to do the same material over and over again. But once it stopped being fun and I started writing some more new stuff, even my Lindsay, she was like, you know, always been my number one supporter. She's like, I'm getting pretty bored with your shit. <laughs> it's getting stale to me. If you want me to keep going to your shows, we live together. She's an asshole for saying that. <laughs> no, but again, she you want to, yeah. you want me to go to your shows, you got to start writing some new shit. And she really pushed me to start stretching out and doing. She's like, I know all those notes you have. There's new jokes there. Start writing. The bartender at Post Thirty Two. We're gonna end on this just to kind of wrap things up. But really fun talking to you. Enjoy it. But the bartender at it's Post. It's been great. Just shut the fuck up. <laughs> the, Thanks, Blake. <laughs> the bartender. Because I was hosting and I was trying to like, you know, I only have so many jokes mm -hmm. like that I'm comfortable with doing. And this is what hosting's teaching me is like to be more ad-libby, to just try more stuff because it's not my set. I can't, there's no good way to navigate it because I'm chopping it up and trying to throw it up there on stage with what works with other comedians. But she's like, you need to try some new stuff. Uh, you're, you're really funny, but you're saying all the same jokes. And I was like, kind of like have to say the jokes a lot to get them but like i get where you're coming from and it's helped me because i have been more willing to try stuff that just pops into my head i actually stopped doing that for a while because i realized i could write whatever room i was in i could write jokes based on whoever came up and like stuff right 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 exactly make them great so i was like those are better than the stuff that i'm going up there with so i'm just going to stop doing that because i'd rather work on the set but now as a host I'm flexing that muscle again yeah. of that. Admin. It helps to be in the moment and, you know, keep people part of the live show. Thank you again for joining oh, us. Thank you for having me. I really had a fun time talking with you, man. Always do. I, I love your shit. You know that I'll take care of you any way I can. Uh, remember www.michaelcopenhavercomedian.com. There will be a link to this interview there. If you want to hear it again, I guess, and some other stuff. And remember a before E in Michael. Yes. A before E Michiel. I don't know who spells their name like that.
Bye, guys.